0: If you haven't been keeping up with the times here, welcome to the era of spatial computing. Welcome. Welcome, everybody. So says the Apple website, as they announced as much with the coming of their Worldwide Developers Conference last June. They said a product was coming out, and that product has now arrived. Well, sort of. Pre-orders began on Friday, and the release of the product is February 2nd. Have you seen this for this Apple Vision Pro? Has anybody ordered theirs yet? I did not order one, in case you're wondering. $3,500 starting price seemed a little bit high to me. But I did watch the nine-minute video, the film online. And the whole thing looks, I have to say, very, very cool. And Ample, of course, is banking on that. But perhaps even more on the possibility that, like their earlier offerings in the market, if you think back to their entry into the personal computer market and even into the iPhone market, uh, they're banking on the idea that this release might not merely respond to kind of the present times, but would actually shape the future and how we engage in these types of products. The background soundtrack for Apple Vision Pro is a song entitled Let's Live, if you watch the film. And perhaps that's a nod to the anticipated life shaping if not altering, effect this new form of computing will pose on markets, on industry, and on persons as well. But as revolutionary as this might all seem, right, as cool as this might be, as slick as this might turn out to be, and as, as uh, technologically advanced as we might uh, look at this and see all that's housed in that product, Apple Vision Pro is a product that reflects the era in which it's being launched. It reflects that. That's another way of saying few of these would sell in the Bronze Age. Had we ourselves not been versed in such things as personal computing, had we not been versed in media on demand, had we not experienced video calling, or even of late computer generated graphics that are starting to look more and more realistic, because when you have an Apple Vision Pro on your face and you look like you're scuba diving, the person you're talking on video conference can't see you, right? Well, now it automatically generates your face that's talking. All right, get freaked out now. But have we not seen that before in the movies and all kinds of things we see online? Had we not experienced working remotely for a season, this type of device wouldn't make any sense. But demand for this product of this, this sort would be in high demand because of all those experiences. It's a product of the time in which we live. It draws on the values and interest that we hold today. In fact, marketing says as much, Apple has said this in their own line, they say, so you can do the things you love, that's today, in ways never before possible, that's looking to the future. But Apple isn't alone in this. Throughout human history, we see how technology is both tethered in the present, while at the same time, it's advancing. It reflects our current interests, but also looks towards the future or future vistas. Now, if you're not freaked out yet, if 1984, if you haven't read 1984, and you're thinking, wow, this is just one more thing in technology that's doing all these things, this is all something that we also do as people. This is not just a product-type thing, but this is something we do as people. We locate ourselves this way. We're a product of our time. The young people are a product of their time. The not-as-young people amongst us You're a product of your time. You think about the values that are espoused by those different generations and the formation that happens during critical moments in your life and how that then finds expression throughout the many days of your life. And so in some ways, you live now, but you're tethered now and also in whatever your formation was, but you're also trying to step into the each and every day that's coming into the future. Of course, our writer here in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, is going to draw on that sense of people... That are tethered now, but also looking towards the future at the same time. But when he does so, he's not going to look at the calendar. He's not looking at the calendar. So let's get into our text a little bit and see what it says about what it means to be people who are tethered now but looking to the future at the same time. Our text directs readers to a new era. Says there's something coming in the future, but right now you live in a new era. For the Apostle Paul, as he is writing, this is this here in the first century, and actually as these words continue to span into our present day the calendar, again, is not what he has in view. That would be a measure of quantitative time, or what the grief called chronos, and would require a level of precision and knowledge that's not possible about the future for this particular person, as he writes. He's not privy to the exact details when things will happen and how in the future. And so here in our text, and specifically in verse 29, our writer employs the word kairos when he talks about time. Now, you might have read a few years ago, uh, New York Times op-ed columnist David Brooks had an article in which he juxtaposed these notions of chronos and kairos when he writes, The Greeks had the concept of kairos time, which is not quantitative like our normal conception of time, but qualitative, rich or empty, the meaningful hour or the hurried moment. When you're with beauty in art or in nature, you tend to move at kairos time, slowly, serenely, but thickly. These words, of course, are offered by Brooks within the context of a piece he entitled, or at least subtitled, A Small Rebellion Against the Quickening of Time. A Kairos perspective here, of course, of time can invite a different way of doing life. It's living in that moment. It's not stuck down onto the details of what time, hour, minute, second. It's not dividing things up that way. It's just a space of time that you live in. And of course, I've become more aware of what it means to live in Kairos time amidst Kronos time because for Christmas this year, I received a new watch. I'm not a watch-wearing guy. Usually, I wear a watch until the battery dies, and then I stop wearing it. Just put it away for a while. Then I get around a few years later putting a new battery in, and I wear it for a time, Then it dies, and I put it away again. But this season feels a little bit different. It's going to sound like an Apple commercial here this morning because I got one of those Apple watches. And I have to say, I get notified with messages, my text messages. I see little updates from apps and emails, and some of you guys think that's purgatory. You're like, what? I I think it's super cool, and it's super helpful. I love it. But at the same time, though I have a growing awareness that this all can easily spiral into what Charles E. Hummel famously called the tyranny of the urgent, where according to Hummel, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. So at key moments, I take my watch off and I stow it. At night, when we go to read to our kids, I take the watch off and I put it away. I don't want to be a distraction. Also, they always poke at it all the time, too. (laughs) But we put it away. Awareness of the moment invites a response when you're living in that moment, when you're living in Kairos. The Apostle Paul hopes his readers too will heed the moment and live lives that reflect as much. Not just because of Kairos, but because, as he says, the appointed time has grown short. The time is compressed. It's drawn together. It's for a limited time. That's what we might say here. It's like the McRib sandwich. Well, not exactly like the McRib sandwich, which supposedly is for a limited time, but just keeps coming back over and over again. The lies. But it's limited time. It's short. That's where, according to Paul, these ancients and us moderns now find ourselves. The place where we live now is in that shortened period of time, that compressed period of time. But what does that mean? What does it mean it's compressed? How did it get shortened? Well, the same kairos is employed earlier in the letter. Paul will write in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, specifically in verse 5, he'll reference Jesus' return. He uses that word again. The second Advent. And of course, Paul covers this ground at other points in the letter as well as elsewhere. You can look at First Thessalonians chapter four, for instance. And so the effect here is to live in light of what and who is coming. Our present era we live in, again, not a calendar, but we live in that expectation that Christ is coming again and is going to come at any time, because the time is short and compressed and so it changes how we live now in light of what's coming in the future commentators Roy Siampa and Brian Rosner offer an illustration here that I think is quite helpful towards understanding what it looks like to be these people who are living in this present amidst a future reality and they use a modern-day illustration uh, that they believe parallels this this experience when they write concerns about the future changes that could be brought about by global warming may end up impacting many generations that will live out their lives in light of those concerns, not necessarily knowing if or when major global changes will significantly change their lives or that of their children and or grandchildren. So each generation may hand over the baton to the next with the understanding that even if they and their children live out their whole lives without seeing radical changes brought about by global warming, they are not exempt from the need to live their lives differently in light of those concerns. Thus, the future of a world transformed by global warming is already breaking into our present, conditioning the attitudes and behaviors of people today. So, we live this way already, and we do it in other pursuits. And to recognize that there is a place where the future of what might be coming, or in the case when we talk about Christ, what is coming and who is coming, changes how we live now in the present. It's the reason why in our house, we wash ziploc bags somebody else do that we clean out your ziploc bags and reuse them come on now come on you know who you are I've got a box of ziploc bags that have been sitting in my garage for like a year unopened because we keep washing the other ones changes in the present in light of looking at what's possible for the future so similarly Paul will outline in brief how these ancients and we moderns can live lives that are conditioned by what is coming and conform the life that God has for you and me. So here we go. Here's what he outlines. First of all, we need to locate our text within its context. You get the idea of what, uh, why this was written here right from the outset of the chapter. If you look at the beginning of the very t- chapter in verse 1, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. Paul here is answering mail, right? So dear Paul, I've got a question for you. So he's answering the mail here. And the questions these ancients pose relate to sexual abstinence within their relationships as they think about single and being married. They're asking questions around this idea of of abstinence. Should they abstain? How should they pursue this part of their life? And here's what Paul teaches them in verses 1 through 9. So this is outside our text, but verses 1 through 9 of the chapter. Paul here will endorse the single life, he'll endorse it, not to marry. But at the same time, he recommends marriage to prevent sexual immorality. He doesn't want people to live lives that are sexually immoral and so he he recommends to them to to get married if that's gonna be an issue for you in verses 10 through 16 he then urges believers not to divorce but at the same time he offers concessions or at least he concedes that it might be necessary if there's places where divorce might be necessary in verses 17 through 24 that's probably some of the most challenging words in the bunch particularly verses 21 through 24 and more than we have space here of course this morning to consider in full but in short the Corinthian Jesus followers are counseled at that point against making specific kinds of changes things related to circumcision things related to if they're slave or free in verses 25 through 28 singles and married couples are counseled to remain as they are why Well, note what Paul writes in verse 26. I think that in view of the impending crisis, it is good for you to remain as you are. He sees the short period that he's living in as as being very short. And so he's saying, hold fast, stay put here. Some of the specifics here might seem particularly dated to us moderns, right? Talking about slave and free, that seems like a dated reference or even irrelevant for the Gentiles among us. How many Gentiles are here this morning? There's probably a few, right? Circumcision might see, seem like at least religious circumcision might seem to you to be uh, something that's irrelevant to you. But the effort here is the same as what we've already observed in regards to the era in which we live. That how we live is to be dictated by what is coming, what is going down. How we live now is to be dictated by what's what's coming. But, of course, Paul doesn't stop here. Instead, he goes on with a series of if this, then live as as though uh, or don't do this. And we'll see this. For verse 29, the second part of that, for those who are married, he counsels them to live as though they're not married. Now, some of you right now are getting a little wild and crazy when you hear that. Calm down. Calm down. Before we get too carried away with this one, remember what he's already counseled in the first part of the chapter about being married. So it can't possibly mean that you're supposed to walk around as though you're not married when you know you're married. All right, so don't do that. Or those who mourn, first part of verse 30, supposed to live as though they're not mourning. Of course, are we supposed to walk around as stoics? But again, don't read this particular line here as independent of a larger context. Things like Romans chapter 12, verse 15, where Paul encourages mourning with those who mourn. Or even Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, which uses the same verb as he does here. Grief is real. What Paul's saying at this point is that when we mourn, that's not the final word. Something's coming that'll make that not the final word. Or perhaps the opposite here, those who rejoice, you're not supposed to rejoice. Now, some of the the folks you are amongst us might say, Good, I don't want to rejoice anyways. I have no joy the joy of the Lord is my impediment. So I'm not going to live that way. All right? not going to live with joy. Well, again, read in a larger context. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, where one is to rejoice always. Rejoice always. But it still, something even more significant is coming. You think about the joy that fills our heart, that candlelight of joy. It pales in comparison to the sun that's coming the light of that Sun when it comes to buying hold those things loosely we hear that in the latter part of verse 30 we know that things we own can own us even our Apple Vision Pro can own us even when we don't own it it can own us right you watch the video over and over again the possessed taking possession of the possessor is what happens Perhaps we might do well here to once again hear Jesus' words, namely in Luke chapter 17 where he says, those who try to make their life secure will lose it, but those who lose their life will keep it. But whether we're talking about stuff or our relationships or even life experiences, things like vacations and all kinds of joyous events that we might fill our lives with, that we are to hold these within a larger context of the era in which we live in the light of what is coming. That we need to loosen our grip we have to loosen our grip on these things to be more free and of course we see in verse 31 that in our dealings in the world in general it's a kind of summary to all that has come before so look out to whatever was missed here that what we enjoy in this life right now isn't everything so don't make it everything but also we don't live lives of total abandonment of our responsibilities in one another. For our familial relationships, our ups and our downs, our highs and our lows, even all the stuff, these aren't supposed to be the seats of ultimate significance. They're not the place of ultimate meaning. They're not what is coming. These are the present form of this world, the way we do and experience life now. And this form as we hear in verse 31 this form is passing away kind of leaves us to ask more important more significant questions in regards to our lives questions about how then are we to live how then are we to spend and use our resources what's in our view as we look out and we see all around us what's going down in the world Well, in my 20s, I served a congregation that must have missed this section of the Corinthian letter. (laughs) I think they didn't have this part in their Bible. No, I joke. I joke. But I received a lot of uh, concerned inquiries during those years as to when I was going to marry. No one was offering. They were just asking about it. (laughs) (laughs) They were very concerned for me. They were concerned for my well-being. It seems that there was also a lot of concern about a single man uh, serving in ministry during those years. Well, in my 30s i showed them i got married i was working in a whole different context at that point but the questions then came and at that point they are aimed at when we might be welcoming children into our family that's how that's how that turned we had a dog at the time named molly great dog love that dog but apparently that wasn't what they had in mind (laughs) all those probings there's an expectation about how you do life There's an expectation for a paradigm for how life is to be done. And Paul here, of course, blows that all up. I hope we know that by now. That at the very least from our text, there isn't a one-size-fits-all for how, how we do life. That even when we check all the boxes, spouse, kids, dog, cat, house, vacation property, cars, boat, wine club membership, big box membership, stuff, 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 Apple Vision Pro, right, all those boxes, check them all off. We can still find that we have everything we could possibly imagine but have checked none of the boxes that truly matter. That those remain unchecked. God's gracious invitation to you and me this morning is that we live lives in the present Kairos moment. To truly live. That you and I would live lives that are generous. Lives that are curious and faithful. Lives of humble service to one another, to our neighbors, to all of humanity. Knowing that we've been claimed, that we're nourished and sustained, and that we're assured in all this by the coming one who brings life to the full. There's an old song, and I close with this, that I think many of us are familiar with. Certainly when you hear the word, you'll remember this song, but I think it touches at some level into a lot of the pieces here that Paul's drawing us to in our lives, the go, song goes, "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." You've heard this one? "Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of Earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. But here's where the song gets it wrong. I don't think they'll grow strangely dim. Instead, our vision will grow with greater clarity for where we live and how we're to live. Maybe so for each one of us in this generation and every day of our lives. Amen. Friends, let us pray together. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us, particularly as we come and hear words of counsel, questions that come and revolve around real questions that people have in life of how are we to live. In light of this great salvation in light of your grace how are we to live lives in real world circumstances and lord we know these questions about relationships these questions that fill our hearts with a sense of meaning and significance they raise in us an anxiety to ask questions like this and and say should we should we marry should we not marry how should we deal with the, the funds that we have how should we live the life in the in this community in this world So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that continues to speak to us even in our generation and calls us to a deeper, more significant kind of question. So today, Lord, we pray that you would reorient our vision, our view to see the larger story that's unfolding, the story of grace and salvation, of your rescue of humanity, that we might make choices that are faithful ones, good choices in light of the goodness of God. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.